0: Good everybody. This is Pastor Sullivan at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Kerrville, Texas. Welcome back to another episode of ATP, Ask the Pastor. Today's question. Dear Pastor, liturgical churches seem to connect with God through mechanical means. You have to go through the church to get to God. It doesn't seem very intimate. Even Luther's small catechism tells us to recite certain prayers. So what do Lutherans believe about having an intimate relationship with God? And what about mysticism? Like theosis, the teachings of Jacob Boehme, contemplative prayer, and Ignatius of Loyola's spiritual exercises. All right, great question. So, the idea that prayer is the means by which we connect to God or have an intimate relationship with God um, is called mysticism. Mysticism is any approach to God that seeks to experience His presence directly within oneself. Uh, emotionally, intuitively, or ecstatically. It seeks a direct inward word from God uh, and heavenly illumination within oneself, apart from the preaching of the word, apart from scripture. And every mystical practice, exercise, or method of prayer, including the, the things that you ask about in this email, all of them have that as its goal. So we can go through each one of these here real quickly. Uh, Theosis. Theosis is a particularly Eastern Orthodox doctrine. It's the process of deification by which man participates in the energies of God, which culminates eventually in the vision of uncreated light. Deification begins in baptism, and man cooperates using his free will in the process by making use of the sacraments of the church and prayer. And as is typical with, with different forms of mysticism, Theosis can't be explained. It can only be experienced. In fact, that's precisely what Gregory Palamas, the arch theologian of theosis, wrote. He wrote, For even when spoken of, deification is unutterable. As the fathers say, it can be identified only by those who have been blessed with it. Besides using the sacraments of the church and growing in moral behavior, then uh, the person that is pursuing theosis can also use as a tool hesychism. Uh, for opening oneself up to the divine. Uh, hesychasm is is a form of contemplative prayer, Uh, meaning it it strives to subdue all outward senses and the the intellect uh, in order to experience God. Uh, Most often, uh, the hesychists use the Jesus prayer, which is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then holding one's breath while praying and, and other different breathing techniques while repeating that prayer over and over and over again uh, can allegedly help to unify one's intellect and concentration. The Hesychists then uh, would put their chins to their chests, eyes fixed upon their belly buttons, you know, literally navel-gazing. And so all of this was done to clear the mind in contemplative prayer so that you can experience God. Now, there are other forms of contemplative prayer, especially that we see more uh, used by American evangelicalism as a means of hearing God's voice, Uh, usually as that inward whisper or deep speaking into the heart, some sort of interior knowing. The purpose is to clear one's mind so that God's voice can be more easily heard and presence felt. And the goal of, of contemplative prayer, like we said with Hesychism, is to free oneself from all distraction from outside and from within in order to experience heavenly illumination, to experience that direct contact from God, with God, apart from His external Word, apart from the Word that comes from outside of ourselves. The spiritual exercises of Ignatius Loyola, um, they are similar to this, in that they claim to open the person up to experiencing God's presence. The difference between Loyola's exercises and other forms of contemplative prayer is that the exercises harness the power of human imagination to put the person into the scriptural narratives as if you were there at, say, Christ's baptism, one of his miracles, his passion, his resurrection, etc. The the participant is encouraged to imagine experiencing the narrative with their five senses. And by doing so, the person then becomes open and receptive to God's activity. Uh, God reveals himself to the person then as they're in the depths of that contemplative imagining. Now, you also mentioned uh, Jakob Bema. Now, his theology, or or rather, theosophy, uh, is highly mystical as well. Now, Bema was a a Lutheran layman. He lived from uh, 1575 to 1624. And he taught that God contains conflicting elements in his own nature, uh, but that they're harmoniously united. However, that um, in the universe, which is an emanation of God, according to Bema, uh, these conflicting elements are separated, but they can be harmoniously reunited through regeneration in Christ. Um, so, so his kind of main thesis is not scriptural to begin with. While Bema's writings have been translated into English and have been wildly influential in in a few different circles, the Lutheran reaction to Bema's writings has not been translated into English. In the literature that I was able to find that does mention him, Bema is always lumped together with the enthusiasts, fanatics, and Valentin Weigel. And You can learn more about uh, Valentin Weigel in our podcast on um, Johann Arndt and his work, True Christianity. Enthusiasm and fanaticism, they're Lutheran terms for mysticism, the belief that God communicates directly with individuals through private impressions, imaginations, and visions, instead of the preaching of the Word and the sacraments. Lutherans condemn enthusiasm and fanaticism, and the reason that we condemn enthusiasm and fanaticism is because they direct people to look within themselves, and to listen within themselves for God. Now, while God spoke directly to the patriarchs and prophets of old at times, He hasn't promised to speak directly with us. In fact, He speaks only to us through Jesus. St. Paul says in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, that God at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. He has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. You know, at the transfiguration of Jesus, the Father told the disciples of Jesus in Matthew 17:5, "Hear him." And Jesus, whom we are to hear, only speaks through his word. St. Paul says in Romans 1:16 that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, and in Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So God through his word Uh, This external word, the absolution, baptism, the Lord's Supper, uh, the hearing and reading of the scriptures, all these are external. It's a word that comes to us from outside of ourselves. Luther remarks in his large catechism, uh, he says, "...now these innovators are so insane as to separate faith and the object to which it adheres, although that object is external. Indeed, it should and must be external." so that it can be perceived and apprehended by the senses and conveyed to the heart through them. For the whole gospel is an external and oral message. In a word, whatever God does and performs in us, he wishes to effect through such external ordinances. Now wherever he speaks, yes, rather in whatever way or through whatever instrument he speaks, to this the eyes of faith are to be directed, and to this faith must cleave. That's from the large catechism, the section on baptism, section 4, paragraph 30, where he writes that. And Luther's point in these words is that our faith can't be separated from the object to which our faith clings. So the object of faith is Christ presented to us in the external word, which is the scriptures, the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. If the object of faith is instead the subjective internal communication from God, apart from the external word, then we're placing our faith in that alleged Word of God. Mystical experiences are by nature subjective, so they're not valid for anyone except for the person who has had the experience. Uh, And those experiences also have no authority over anyone else. Now, we don't deny that such things happen. We don't deny that those experiences occur, but we do seriously doubt that they are experiences of and communications from God. Um, Instead, Luther writes, we should and must therefore constantly maintain that God will not confer with us, frail beings, unless through his external word and sacraments. But all that is boasted of, independent of such word and sacraments, in reference to the Spirit, is criminal. And that comes from the small called articles, um, the section on uh, section three, article eight on confession, paragraphs nine, I'm sorry, uh, ten and eleven. The subjective internal experiences and communications that mysticism promises. They take us away from God's Word and bid us to look within ourselves for God's Word, rather than to the external Word of God. Now, as far as intimacy and in all this is concerned, what can be more intimate than a God who knows our inmost thoughts, words, uh, and our deeds, and yet has compassion on us by, by promising to forgive our sins for Jesus' sake? What could be more intimate than a God who knows us better than we know ourselves and promises to be with us, to dwell in us by faith, and to provide us everything that we need. uh, Prayer itself can't be a way to get to God, because prayer is an exercise of faith which asks God for the things that He's promised to give. The liturgy and the written prayers of the church, they teach us to pray for what God commands and promises. And if these prayers at any point become mechanical, that's not the prayer's fault, but the person who's praying them mechanically. You know, God wants to deal with us only through His Word, so that we're certain that it's God speaking to us. If we expect Him to relate to us inwardly, then we're expecting Him where He hasn't promised to speak to us. And that means that there's no certainty that it's God who is the one speaking to us or being experienced. It may, in some cases, be the evil spirit, or more often, it may just be ourselves, Thanks for the question. I hope this helps. We'll see you next time for another episode of ATP, Ask the Pastor.